0: Cut and Gimlet Media. This is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Right. 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 If you watched the State of the Union a few weeks ago, you might remember this. Lawmakers in New York cheered with delight Upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments from birth. These are living, feeling, beautiful babies who will never get the chance to share their love and their dreams with the world. Donald Trump was talking about the Reproductive Health Act, a new law in New York. It allows abortions after 24 weeks of pregnancy to protect a mother's health or if a fetus isn't viable. And this moment in the State of the Union stands out for a more important reason than the basic unpleasantness of Donald Trump talking about beautiful babies. With Trump's appointees on the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade is vulnerable. Abortion rights are under attack. And abortions that happen later in pregnancy are the most widely attacked. For opponents, they're the easiest to vilify. To defend the dignity of every person, I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit the late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb. These abortions are also incredibly rare. Trump makes it sound like there's some mob of baby-haters celebrating in the streets. But only 1.3 percent of abortions in the U.S. even happen after the second trimester. And when a woman wants to end a pregnancy at that point, It's almost never because she just happened to change her mind. There aren't reliable statistics on all the reasons why women get later abortions. One of the few places that performs these procedures is a clinic in Colorado, and they say that their patients are almost always women who wanted a pregnancy and then learned something was catastrophically wrong. The reality of later abortion is nothing like the political rhetoric. So, on today's show, we're going to hear the story of one woman's actual experience.
1: When I found out I was
0: pregnant, I was at work. Laura's twenty eight. She lives in Harlem and works in the
1: office of a college in the Bronx. And she has an incredible memory for dates. It was the eighteenth of April. It was a Wednesday because I was supposed to get my period that Monday, the sixteenth, and I was late. This
0: is so organized. It's this so, so organized. Yes, yeah, it's, it's memory. It's yeah. very,
1: very. I don't know. I, I I don't know why. I went to one of the restrooms. I was like, let me just do it now, get it out of the way. In total, I took three tests just to make sure that it wasn't a fluke. And they all said positive. They all said pregnant, pregnant. And I got the plus sign. So I was like, oh, God. What kind of I was scared. I was so scared. I remember I texted my friend and I sent her the picture. And I was like, what the hell? She's like, are you sure? And I sent her all three. And she was like, yeah, you're sure. (laughs) Full documentation. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And she was even like, what are you going to do? And I honestly said, I don't know. After it really sunk in, I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go with it. So off we went.
0: Laura felt like she was ready. She had a job she liked. She was stable financially. She and her partner of three years had broken up recently, but he was supportive when she told him the news.
1: And she was healthy. It was a textbook pregnancy. They did the 13-week scan, and according to my results, everything was good. I was measuring at the correct age. My blood work came out fine. She was getting ready for the baby
0: in all the ways you'd expect. She was excited. So, like, what kinds of plans were you making at that point? Like, what were you anticipating for when the baby was born?
1: For one thing, my due date, it was on Christmas. Christmas Day. Christmas Day. So I was very, very excited for that. I was thinking, I'm going to need a a carriage. I'm going to need to figure out who am I going to leave the baby with, clothes, all this stuff. I kind of bounced off ideas with my sister. She has a girl already. Yeah, what kinds of advice did she have? She was asking me, are you going to breastfeed? If you are, are you going to get a pump? Does your insurance cover the pump? Are you going to get a manual one? What are you going to do? How much time are you going to take off work? When are you going to go back? Are you going to, you know, start working to get the weight off as soon as you're given the okay? She was like, well, listen, you've helped me a lot. The least I can do is if you go back to work, you can leave me with your baby. She had a baby as well, an infant. So we were thinking about, okay, what if we got a double stroller? It'll make life easier. So we were making all these plans and stuff. And then my anatomy scan happened and it's like, oh, crap. (laughs)
0: The anatomy scan happens at 20 weeks. This is the appointment where they first get a good look at the fetus. They can measure its size, check the organs, make sure everything just seems okay in general. And they can tell you the baby's sex.
1: I went by myself. I, I wasn't expecting anything. I was, you know, the most I was expecting was to finally be told if it was a boy or a girl. How are you feeling? Were you excited? I was excited. I was so nervous. And I thought it would be a quick 10-minute, 20-minute thing. And so the ultrasound tech was very chatty. She was very, very nice. She was like, you know, do you know what you're having? And I said, no. So hopefully I get to find out. She was like, if the baby's in the right position, we'll be able to tell quickly. So I was like, well, I hope so. So we started off and that was the first thing that we were trying to figure out. So she was like, do you want to know? And I was like, yes. She's like, you're having a girl. And I was like, how sure are you? She's like, I'm really sure. In my family, the kids that we have, that everyone has, there's only two girls. Mm -hmm. So this would have been the third. I was like, oh, my God, finally another girl. Everyone would be so happy.
0: Laura was expecting this to be the day's big news. That's why she'd figured it was fine if she came to the appointment alone. But then the ultrasound tech stopped chatting. And then she left the room to find the doctor. The moment when they stop talking to you, that's the moment you know to dread. Laura was lying there. With ultrasound jelly all over her stomach, wondering
1: what was going on. 10 minutes later, they both came in, the OBGYN took over, and he started doing the exam again, abdominally and then transvaginally. So it was at that time that he said, Okay, listen, there's a few things that we're worried about. He said, Her brain, it's not at the size that it should be for her age. I don't see a right kidney. Her overall size is small for what she should be. And he was like, I can't see her hands. So at that time, I'm freaking out. It looked like something was wrong.
0: But that's all the doctor could tell from looking at an ultrasound. It wasn't clear exactly what was wrong or why or how serious it was. They told Laura she'd need an amniocentesis, which is where they draw a sample of amniotic fluid out to test for fetal abnormalities. The amnio would tell them if what they were seeing was something genetic, whether all those things on the ultrasound pointed to a specific condition they could diagnose and understand. At this point, Laura was five months pregnant, and this was the first time she was hearing that anything was wrong. It was a Friday, so she scheduled the amnio for Monday. She went home from her scan in shock. Her family tried to cheer her up, though. And she called her ex to tell him what she'd heard. And he did his best to keep her hopeful.
1: I guess he was trying to get my mind out of, you know, worrying. So he was talking about all these possibilities. You know, she's going to be cute and she's going to have the big cheeks. And you'll see that all of this was just a scare. And that's when we started looking at names. And he was the one that gave me the name that I eventually ran with. He told me, he's like, oh, I like Giselle for a name. So I was like, okay. I was like, I haven't heard it that much. You can say it both in English and Spanish because that's one of the things that we both wanted. We wanted, you know, a bilingual name. So we decided on that name. And, like, I was really, really, really trying to, you know, have the same upbeat, I guess, emotion, if you will. And I just couldn't because I was so worried. I was so worried.
0: After she got the amnio, while she waited to find out the results... Laura held it together by Googling a lot. She wanted to know how bad this all was. She wanted to find out everything she could about what might be wrong and what
1: tests she could ask for. I have the tendency to always look things up. Always, 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 always. Whatever it is, I will look it up. Like, I'm watching a movie, and I will look it up to see the summary, so I will know what to expect. And while she waited, she also wanted
0: to get a second opinion. So she got a fetal MRI. She got another, more detailed ultrasound— She wanted someone to tell her that the first doctor had gotten it wrong, that this wasn't as bad as it looked. Instead, the other doctors confirmed what she'd heard at that 20-week scan. Her baby was much too small for its age. It was missing a kidney, and its brain was underdeveloped. They told her some of the conditions that they thought might be causing those problems and what they would mean for her daughter's life.
1: More than likely, she will not walk. She will not talk. She will not feed. She will be in a hospital for her life. It's, it's, it's bad. It's really bad.
0: She wanted to know everything she could about her daughter. And the more she found out, the worse it got. All the doctors could tell her was that this baby's life would be limited and painful. If she was even able to live outside Laura's body at all. At this point, Laura was 23 weeks and two days into her pregnancy.
1: And that's when they said, in New York State, you have until you're 24 weeks. They're like technically 23 weeks and six days at this institution if you want to terminate. And at that point, we were so taken aback because, you know, we understand that that's a possibility. But at the same time, I didn't have my final amnia results. So I told them I don't want to make that decision just yet. I want to get the amnio result because that'll kind of let me know. If I know it's something genetic, then I know, like, this is definite. There is no, it'll get better.
0: Laura was looking for an answer. She wanted something that could tell her, yes, there's at least some hope here, or no, there's no hope at all. She knew that everything the doctors were saying sounded bad. But the amnio results seemed like something more concrete, A scientific conclusion, not just blurry pictures on an ultrasound screen. She didn't want to decide without seeing those results. But she was running out of time. Coming up, Laura's decision comes right up against New York state law. That's after the break. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. On today's episode, we're hearing about what it's actually like to have an abortion later in pregnancy— When the president talks about later abortions, he describes people ripping babies from their mother's wombs. Last week, he went further, saying that Democrats who support legislation like New York's Reproductive Health Act want to execute newborns. Democrats are also pushing extreme late-term abortion, allowing children to be ripped from their mother's womb right up until the moment of birth. What's that all about? He went on to cite a bill that was recently proposed in Virginia, which would have eased restrictions on later abortions. But the governor stated that he would even allow a newborn baby to come out into the world and wrap the baby and make the baby comfortable and then talk to the mother and talk to the father and then... Execute the baby. Execute the baby. So there's Donald Trump's portrait of would be baby killers. And then there's Laura, a pregnant woman who learned for the first time at 20 weeks that something was very wrong with the baby that she wanted. Laura knew the outlook was grim, but she was desperately trying to find someone who could tell her otherwise. She just wanted her baby to have a shot at life outside her body, outside a hospital. When Laura was 23 weeks and two days pregnant, she was told she had to make a choice. New York state law allowed abortion up to 24 weeks. The hospital where she was being treated would do the procedure up to 23 weeks and six days. And at the appointment where she was 23 weeks and two days pregnant, that was the Thursday before Labor Day weekend. After the holiday, it would be too late. So she had 24 hours to decide. But she still didn't have her amnio results. Those would tell her whether her baby's problems were genetic. It would give her some kind of definite answer. So she didn't want to make her choice without them.
1: They were like, if you do decide on terminating, you have to let us know by tomorrow. You have to let us know and you have to do it by tomorrow. I was still like in a haze, but it was like, okay, let's push this aside. Let's go get those results. And it was a scramble to get them.
0: From the specialist where she'd just had her appointment, Laura had to get to the hospital where she'd had the amnio done. She and her sister got in a cab and got there as fast as they
1: could. And I asked for a copy of the results. They said that they had to send them to my doctor. So I said, okay, I was like, can you send them to my doctor? I have to decide if I'm going to terminate or not. And I need those results to make my decision. I was like, I'm not going to be able to live with whatever decision I make unless I know the final results.
0: So next, she had to go to her OBGYN's office. She was hoping the hospital would have sent him the results
1: by the time she arrived. We got to my primary OBGYN's office, and they didn't have the results yet. They had them in fact over. And what's worse, my doctor wasn't in that day. So in order for me to get a copy of those results, he has to get them first, and he has to sign off on them. So I couldn't get them.
0: You couldn't get the results at all? I couldn't. Not that day. Not that day? Not that
1: day. So I went back the following morning. They hadn't received them yet. So I was going back, asking them every five, ten minutes, do you have the results? Did they come in? Did he sign off on them? Can I get a copy? No, we haven't gotten them, which means, no, he didn't sign off on them. No, you can't get a copy. Every ten minutes I was going, did you get them? Did you get them? No,
0: no, no. If she was going to terminate her pregnancy, she had to do it that afternoon.
1: It was like 2 o'clock, almost 2.30, I remember, because my cousin was texting me that day. And I still didn't have the results. And I was literally like, okay, well, I'm not going to bring my daughter into a world where, you know, she can't fend for herself. If I'm not here, who is going to take care of her? It's like I have no choice. I have to terminate. You know, not knowing my results, I have to terminate. It's like I gave up. I gave up. And my sister and I, we took a cab up to the hospital in Washington Heights. And it was on that ride over that my OBGYN finally called me. And he said, I finally have the results. He told me, essentially, she has a chromosome duplication and a deletion within the same chromosome. He's like, it's not good. And I was like, okay, what is your opinion? And he said... I think you should terminate. I'm doing what I feel is compassionate and respectful for her. Even if it means, like, my heart is breaking, I'm doing it for her. One of the
0: most painful parts of this whole painful process is that the place Laura had to go to terminate her
1: pregnancy was the maternity ward of the hospital. I get off the elevators and I turn to my right and right there is the reception area. It's open area. So it's like I see all these women going there for their ultrasounds and stuff. But in my case, like I told the um, the guy at reception, he, he saw me from the day before. And I was like, listen, I was here yesterday and I'm here because I have to terminate my pregnancy. So he said, OK, you know, take a seat. They'll call you soon, and I have to sit there with all the women. So I remember um, either I was looking at my phone or I was looking at my bag on the floor. I was looking down anywhere but up. I was just like, okay, you know, it's not going to change my mind. I know what I'm doing. I know this is the decision that I have to make. Because it's the best decision to protect my child. And it's so ironic that the best decision to protect her is to end her life.
0: Laura's abortion would happen in two steps. First, the doctor would use a shot of potassium chloride, or KCL, to stop the fetal heart. Then, Laura would come back the next day to deliver.
1: So at that point, it's like everything's ready to go for the termination. They started with the ultrasound to see where she was and to see where was the best entry point for the injection. But at one point while they were doing that, I think they left the audio on by mistake. So I heard the heartbeat for like a slight, like a few seconds, a few seconds. And I completely lost it because that's the last time I'm going to listen to it.
0: Had you heard it before?
1: Yeah, I had heard it before. But it's just the fact that this was the last time and on top of that, it was, you know, to stop the heart. And I have my sister on my left holding my hand. And she's whispering all these things into my ear. She's like, you're strong. You're doing the best choice for your daughter so she won't suffer. I admire you so much because you're doing this. And I'm here for you. You know, it's like... it. I don't even know. And what they did is they put in a numbing shot for me first. They let a few minutes for that to like really, like I guess, absorb, sink in, if you will. Then they started with the uh, KCL shot. It was like a burning sensation. I was like, oh my God, it really, really burns. And I think they did two shots. And after that, they, they kept me there for like 30 minutes. And then they came back and then they did another quick ultrasound and then they said, okay, you can leave.
0: The day after receiving the potassium chloride shot, Laura went back to the hospital. They told her she could either have a D&E, dilation and evacuation, which is where the fetus is extracted using forceps, or she could have labor-induced and give birth. She chose to give birth.
1: Right after I give birth, it's like that total shock and I'm like, oh my God, I gave birth. I gave birth. But all you hear is like, all you heard was silence. Just the doctor and the nurse talking. That's it. They cleaned her up. They made her look presentable. And they brought her to me. I held her. Obviously, I was, I guess, the first one to hold her. And she was so, 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 so tiny. Super tiny. She was a pound and two ounces. And I held her. And you like, you could feel the weight. And it's like, this is My baby. But, you know, my baby is dead. I told everyone to give me some alone time with her. I was with her alone. I kept telling her, I'm sorry this is the way it turned out. I'm sorry I couldn't do more for you. Like, if I could have, I would have. But at the same time, I didn't have time. I didn't want you to suffer. And, this is the the best way i thought possible so it's like all of these things and i'm just like apologizing and i'm like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry it was really really hard eventually i i had to give her to the nurse the nurse had to take her away and once that was done it was like okay now what they told me, well, if you're feeling fine, is there any reason that you shouldn't be discharged today? And I didn't know what to tell them. it's like, you know, if I'm thinking right, no, there is no reason why I should be here. It's not like the, the food isn't that great. The, the bed isn't that comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I miss my bed. <laughs> but it's like that feeling that once I am discharged, I have to leave. But she's still staying. After that, she had to get back to her regular life. I kind of had to tell my boss what was going on, and um, I sent her an email. I said, listen, I was in the hospital over the weekend. I gave birth. You know, she died, and I just need some time off. And, you know, she was great about it. She said, take whatever time you need, and, you know, don't worry about, about the office. We'll, we'll be fine. Don't worry. And I took a week off work. I went back to work the following week, and it was so surreal because the last time I was there, I was pregnant. And now I'm not. Like, I still, had the, I still had the, you know, the belly in a sense, but I just wasn't pregnant anymore, and I didn't have a baby.
0: Laura buried her daughter in a small white box at a cemetery not far from her office.
1: You know, she's up in Woodlawn, and I work literally, like, three stops away. I can, like, do a quick lunch break, and on my lunch break, I can go see her, take her flowers. I used to go religiously every month, and then, like, this month I haven't gone, and it's like, I don't know. I think maybe it's because it's going on five, almost six months, so it's like that half mark milestone.
0: For supporters of abortion rights, the most important thing about New York's new law is that it takes abortion out of the criminal code entirely. Instead of treating abortion as a crime to be stopped, it makes it strictly a medical matter, which is important, especially if you're thinking in the abstract about abortion rights. But for Laura, the law means something simpler. If the Reproductive Health Act had been in place when she was pregnant, she wouldn't have had to decide everything in 24 hours while she was still waiting for all of her test results. For other women's sake, she's glad the RHA passed, but it's also a little bittersweet for her.
1: You know, it would have given me more time. And that's the thing that I didn't have, time. I was able to see a genetic specialist after my termination. After my termination. And she told me that, you know, best case scenarios is that she would have lived up to her first birthday. Worst case scenario is that she would have died sometime in her third trimester. So it's like, That's the validation that I had after everything happened. Opponents
0: of abortion rights hope that if they limit legal access to abortions, especially later abortions, women just won't get them. But throughout history, women have found ways to end their pregnancies. Laws just make it harder to do it safely. And when it comes to women like Laura, the people who demonize abortion are forgetting something crucial. Parents will do anything for their children. that's true even if the only choice you ever get to make as a parent is the choice not to bring your child into the world. If Laura had missed the 24-week cutoff in New York, she says she would have kept trying to get her abortion. She would have tried to get to that clinic in Colorado, even if it meant spending thousands of dollars.
1: Definitely, I would have. I would have tried. I would have seen where I would have gotten the money from, you know, if I had to take out loans or whatever. I would have done it. Because I will move heaven and hell <laughs> to make sure that, you know, she doesn't ever feel the slightest discomfort, the slightest pain. I will do anything.
0: That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. Playwright. Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVee and Olivia Natt. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who is a young dad, in precisely the same sense that Kirsten Gillibrand is a young mom. Mixing is by Emma Munger, Andy Christens, and Bobby Lord. Music is by Haley Shaw and Emma Munger. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra Sousermanig. Special thanks to Callie Buseman, Lola Pellegrino, and the team at Science Versus, who recently published an episode of their podcast about abortion, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.